welcome to the Soul Body Horse podcast, where we dive deep into the horse-human connection. Here, we believe in the power of stories, in digging deeper, pushing further, and asking the oft-unsaid question. I'm your host, Meredith Crawford, and I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Emily Frost. Joining us from Alberta, Canada, and labels herself a centurion mystic horse witch and artist who offers heart-centered horse humanship, mentorship, and healings. But her approach is so uniquely her own that I fear any other introduction would be an injustice. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Meredith. It's great to be here. You're welcome. For the uninitiated, can you share with us about the work you do with horses and their humans in and out of the arena? Yeah, definitely. It's a fun and juicy conversation to have for sure, because I feel like the longer that I do this, the harder it is to kind of describe exactly what it is that I do. To put it really simply, I help to bridge the divide between horses and humans. I help to remind humans of their innate intelligence in their animal body. I help to reconnect that primal body spirit. And then I help to bridge horses to the human world in a way that just makes them feel a little bit safer, a little bit more authentic, understood, and appreciated. Because I think that so many horses have lost that sense of sovereignty within that horse-human dynamic that, and humans as well. Like when we disconnect from our own primal intelligence and our own animal body, it can be really disconnecting on all planes and in all ways. So I find that the greatest work that I do is really reweaving that connection, both on an individual level and together within the partnership. I like using the term centaur because when we're working with horses, we are creating such an intimate partnership, riding on the back of a horse and being able to so intricately influence and inspire another in the way that we can actually guide them with our thoughts, with our breath, with our movement, with our posture. We're creating single being consciousness, essentially, especially because when we take into consideration how much intelligence exists within the body, when we're merging bodies in the way that we do when we ride horses, or even when we're just near them and sharing our energy field, we're creating an entire like single consciousness within this multiverse of both horse and human. And so I find that it's incredibly important to not just address that total, that whole horse and human that creates the centaur, but to also then go on to healing and resolving the whole individual human and horse. And so there's, there's so much to that. As every horse lover knows, it's an incredibly vast topic, but that's short and sweet explanation of what I do. Amazing. So can you take us into what interactions look like between a horse and a human? Most people, when they think of their interacting with a horse, or like a human interacting with a horse, they think of maybe going into the stall or into the paddock and grabbing the horse and faltering the horse and taking them out and getting ready and then riding the horse or lunging or whatever. What does all of that look like with the paradigm that you operate in? That's a fun question. I mean, for me, 
the space that I share with my horses stretches. I mean, horses operate through so many different realms of communication and connection. And I think one of the primary ways in which they connect and communicate is through space and depth and picking up vibrational frequencies through the energetics around them. And so for me personally, with my herd, that never actually disconnects. So even when I'm up in my house and my horses are down in the pasture, I try to maintain some level of energetic connection always. And so the closer I get to my horse, whether I'm walking to them up in a stall or whether I'm walking up to them in the paddock, the vibration really just intensifies and clarifies and starts to almost contract. And so as I'm approaching my horse or as I'm even, even if I'm in my house and I'm thinking about going to the pasture, I'm already enhancing those energetic connections and I'm already sending out information to my horses about what my intention is, what I hope to do with them, all of the things. And so I try to be as present and grounded as possible because I find that it can become so electric and something that we also as human beings almost numb out to that excitement of going and seeing a horse and and that busy brain tendency that we get when we go up to them. So really in the beginning, it's just about greeting them, letting them know I'm coming to say hi, letting them know that I'm open to the possibility of connection. When I work with my horses nowadays, I very rarely actually have a plan of what I want to do or where I want to go with them. So everything is very, very intuitively co-created. It's really important to me that my horses are always contributing to what we're doing and they have a say in what we do because even though we're always energetically connected, as I go to them, the projections start to fade away. The closer I get to them, the more I can actually take into consideration what their true reality is. And so I like to have almost this moving meditation as I walk to them, as I journey to where they are in time and space, where I can actually allow and witness my own projections fall back. And so I hold loosely to some sort of an intention or, you know, goal that I have. I hold loosely to something in the back of my mind so that I do have some sort of charge in my energy field that gives my horse an indication of what could be in our field of potentiality of what we could work on together, what we could experience together in that time and space. But then because I allow those projections to fall away, those first few moments of greeting of my hello, how are you in this physical form, right? Because connecting energetically and intellectually is one thing, but then when we're actually in our horse's energy field and we're close to their physical body, we have so much more information that's rich and uninfluenced and so nuanced. So I really like to take the time to just tap into that. When I touch my horse, that first physical contact, it should be coming after I've already read their energy. So like if I walk up to them and my horse is sleeping, I might not go in and touch them right away. I might just share space with their energy body and just be like, okay, is this what we're doing today instead? There are moments when I come to my horse with some sort of loose intention and it matches their loose intentions so well. And it's like, yep, okay, we're going to go dance today. Or yeah, let's go for a trail ride and adventure through the forest. Or sometimes, you know, we're way off and I'm 
thinking about going for a gallop and they're like, no, I'm having a siesta in the sun. And so it's, it's really lovely to take that time in the beginning of our hello to be so slow and sweet about it so that I can tune into what we need together because sometimes what we need together is a rebalancing through an imbalance. You know, maybe I have to sacrifice what I wanted to do to do what my horse wants to do so that we can come back into balance or maybe vice versa. You know, sometimes it's a give and take on both parts. And so if my horse is snoozing in the sun, I'll walk up to them and I'll just share space in their energy field. You know, look around them and just see what's influencing this. Is it a really beautiful sunny spot in the sky where the clouds have just moved around the sun and they're finally getting some warmth? Is it a sweet, sweet smell? Is it that they just ate a really delicious herb and now they're just kind of hanging out and feeling that digestive process taking place? Are they feeling the benefits of what's going on inside their body? Sometimes if I see them trying to relax, but there's a little bit of strain or a little bit of tension on their face or they're shifting, that can go into a full healing touch session. And so I might have come out with the intention of going for a trail ride and I ended up spending an hour and a half doing some energy work and energy attuning. It's really kind of all over the place. Those first few moments when we approach our horses are so rich with possibility that I try my absolute darndest to like stay out of the way, let my ego human self stay out of the way so that I can really tap into what is possible. Because I find that too, like when we first come to our horse, they're so willing and wanting to tell us what's what. I don't know about you guys, but my horses are chatterboxes. (laughs) The moment (laughs) I'm in their space, they're like, did you see the moon last night? There's this, there's this, the coyotes came through. Like they've got so much to say. And I love just like sitting back and receiving all of the stories and all of the stuff, because I find that that's honestly when I myself get the, the most lessons from them, get my teaching from them. What was the journey that you took to get here with your horses and your herd? I am very, very focused and very, very obsessed when it comes to horses. And I always have been going way, way, way back. I started riding at White Mud Equine Center in Edmonton when I was little. My mom loved horses, but never had access to them when she was a child. She lived near a farm, so she would ride to them, and but it wasn't intimate. And my dad was on a ranch. So they, they did try to kind of help bring me to the world of horses, but they very quickly realized they didn't have the same level of passion. So it was neat because they were supportive of the journey, but they were completely hands-off. So I was essentially just left to my own with these animals. And I was, you know, really fortunate. My parents were super non-conventional and I had tons of free time to myself. I could skip school whenever I wanted. And then eventually I homeschooled so that I could spend even more time with them. Yeah, I was really self-taught and I'm fortunate because I never got tangled up in a lot of the controversial kind of equestrian cliques and niches. And, you know, I I almost feel like any type of culture really does have that tendency to have those cult-like shadows. And I was never, ever taught, you know, you, you do everything on the left side. You need to use a bit when you ride. Spurs are necessary. Like it was, that was never in my, in my programming. I'm so grateful. And I was so fortunate because I know how rare that is because these are huge animals to be a seven-year-old running wild barefoot with a herd of loose horses. Like that just doesn't happen very often. I ended up 
you know, volunteering as much as possible because I wanted to be near them and I couldn't do, I couldn't do lessons. I wasn't in lessons all the time. So I think I, I could probably count on two hands how many actual riding lessons I've had in my life. And, and as I got older, I actually became quite protective of my relationship with horses and of what I was creating with horses. So I was deliberately not going out and learning with others. I was really, really focused on creating my own understanding with them and my own partnership that was very guided by them. So I did lease a horse for a little bit because I had to prove to my parents that I, I could support myself financially and I could sustain that long term. You know, I, I did have some years where I was like trying to conform into that equestrian culture a little bit because I was riding horses that didn't belong to me and their humans wanted them handled in a certain way. And that did not last long (laughs) at all. I was like very, very, very clear that I wanted a horse that I could just be free with. And so Tiamo was my very first horse. She came into my life when I was 12. And our relationship was so pure. I was a fiend for speed. I loved galloping so much. She was an ex racehorse. And so she could run, she could fly. She was so fast, but she very quickly humbled me in that it's not all about going fast. It's not all about, all about riding. And I think it was about a month and a half into our partnership that she, when I went out to, to see her and I was riding every time I saw her, I went out to her and she walked away from me. And then I, I pursued her with that, you know, predator kind of like, oh no, we're we're gonna hang out today. What are you talking about? You're my best friend. I'm your best friend. <laughs> you love me. <laughs> and she ended up trotting away. And I I had a huge reflection. My mom had dropped me off at the farm. I was there by myself. And I spent about two hours in contemplation, just sitting on a fence, thinking about our entire partnership and and what it had meant to her. And I had this complete flip of perspective. And I recognized like, wow, you know, what I feel isn't always what she feels. She's a completely independent creature. And so I I really sat with that and our relationship never looked the same after that. We would spend, you know, so much time in the pasture. I, I used to call it my paddock play. And it was my mental health essentially is like how I would describe it. It was so fundamental to both me and her and we would just you know play and I remember distinctly there was one one day that it was downpouring rain and my dad had dropped me off and didn't leave the farm because he thought I was going to last you know an hour tops before I would call him I was in the rain playing with her for seven and a half hours just like running barefoot and you know like twirling in the rain and just going absolutely wild together and you know it, it was so incredible, I think, at that time to recognize that riding wasn't what she wanted to do and to really just honor that because she ended up showing me her world in return. And I think that was the first time that I ever really, really stepped into and was also welcomed into the horse's world. And, you know, that world is so profoundly woven in with nature. And so I started to recognize the influence that the birds had on the horses and the relationship that they have with the horses and the way that the horses end up favoring different trees, depending on the energy of the trees and, you know, how they read the hills of the land and the way that the wind sweeps through. And like, it was such a beautiful, beautiful eye-opening to me. And I was in that early development, early teens at the time. 
you know, I, I remember slipping into right at the beginning of our partnership, slipping into what I would consider now as an early form of depression. And that whole experience with Tiamo of being welcomed into the horse's world and reconnecting to our planet pulled me out of that. And I remember like a year later, after those big lessons, I was in one of the most lighthearted, happy places of my life that I had experienced up until that point. She ended up connecting with her soulmate, her horse soulmate, Indiana, who was my mom's horse. We ended up moving to another stable. And when so when Tiamo passed away, we were only in partnership for two years. It was really brief. She had this absolute catalytic legacy that she left behind for me, I think. And at the time, I was really subconscious about it. I wasn't fully aware of it. But the more that I started to just continue what she taught me with other horses and learn the ways of the horse, not just the ways of Tiamo, but the ways of the horse, I started to just become more and more addicted. It was just this snowball effect, essentially. And so by the time Tacoma my current heart horse came into my life. I was very, very, very crystal clear on the kind of partnership that I wanted with my horses. And, you know, he was a young gelding and he felt in his body that he was very misunderstood. He was like, I am a silver dragon stallion. Like I am like this free, powerful creature. And, and he just blasted open my entire perspective around what is possible for horses and how unbelievably magical and complex they can be. And so I started to do a lot of like behavioral studies and I started to study neurology and learning theory. And, you know, I, I noticed that all of the studies that were done on animals, they were incredibly limited because they were done on horses that were highly domesticated that had only ever really been bridged to the human world. The humans that were doing the studies had never fully bridged themselves to the horse's world. And I noticed that a lot of these studies, these horses that were in these studies, they were so limited in how they were connecting to their environment. And I recognized how unbelievably important it is for horses to have that connection to the earth in all the ways that they're meant to. And how much the environment influences intellect and what's possible for the evolution of not just a species, but an individual. And then I started to kind of go into a little bit of research about, you know, how horses have evolved with us, species specifically, and like breed specifically within the species and how those specific breeds based off of the evolution that they experienced alongside humans have gone on to develop all sorts of different compensations or all these weird behavioral quirks that we think are an indication of overall just generic intelligence when really they're byproducts of their experiences. And, and so I just started to become really passionate about understanding the misunderstanding that horses are experiencing and helping them with that and helping humans with the misunderstandings that they're experiencing and helping to just break down and dismantle the projections, the stories that are just so outdated and so limiting. And I just started to really, you know, meet every individual, every single horse that I ever came into contact with as a super complex creature that cannot be generalized with behavioral studies, that cannot be categorized into boxes that make science feel nice and in control. Like I just started to understand spirit as this incredibly 
incredibly limitless and diverse intelligence. It's so neat to me because I feel like Tiamo really opened the door for me, but Tacoma was like the catalyst in and of himself and just helping me recognize how much I was missing before and how much we've all been missing when it comes to the possibility space for any any being, really. What do you see is possible within this possibility space? I am like having so much fun with unicorn and pegasus consciousness right now and I I love it because it's just so out there as soon as you say unicorn consciousness everybody's like well well, well, what's that (laughs) I actually I think I need to make a t-shirt that's like tie-dyed with a big unicorn on it that says unicorns are real and then just have that as a conversation piece I think it really started when we moved to this land especially for unicorn consciousness and then with Rosavina as well. I mean, she's so Rosavina is a filly that I just adopted. She is what I call big Pegasus energy. And she is just coming two years old this summer. She has been bringing me back into all of this inner child work that I'm doing, not just with myself, but with the herd as well. And I'm seeing what she's been bringing up for the horses. And so there's this balance within Equus consciousness, the horse consciousness that. I think can be summed up by these two. It's also inflow, outflow, or parasympathetic and sympathetic. It's it's really ultimately two polarized energetics. And so when I think of unicorn consciousness, I'm thinking of, you know, sky father, higher intelligence, outflow. This could be considered a sympathetic flow, which is really liberated, really, really powerful charged energy. In my opinion, I don't think sympathetic is just related with stress. I think sympathetic is also related with an inherent charge of energy. And then Pegasus is very connected to the parasympathetic system or the inflow energy coming and integrating back into the body, really connected with earth consciousness or just that lower grounded energetic. And so At first, I thought this was all just very metaphorical. Like I I really just kind of understood these as a powerful archetype that exists for horses that helps to communicate and express these alternative almost identities of the horse. And and I, I always liked them because I considered them to be great examples of what that field of potentiality is for the horse. You know, the unicorn represents this incredible ability for them to think and to project and to understand and to relate and to see into the future, to see into the past. Whereas the Pegasus gives this impression of the horse being able to take flight and to move across the land and through dimensions and through realms. I think this was always in the back of my mind. I've always been a very, very creative, imaginative person. But then when we moved to this land specifically, I started to have experiences that were really, really hard to explain. And so I'm almost considered myself a bit of a spiritual scientist at this point. I've worked with a lot of shamans and a lot of medicine women. And most most of the mentors that I have have nothing to do with horses at all. At this point, they work with the earth realm, which is the world that the horses gatekeep, essentially. And so... As we, you know, as I was going through all of these these teachings and things, I've come to realize that what I'm experiencing isn't actually that abnormal, but the depth, the magnitude to which I'm having these experiences is. It's really, really profound. And so I'll share a little story with you if you're comfortable getting quite out there. 
Please. Yeah, I have some really cool ones.